practicing? I am not. I am not. No, with my schedule, I'm actually often eating meals at like 10 o'clock at night and stuff. Sometimes I'm like running events and things when we get home later, you know. Yeah, so um, this is also for me. So I'm, you know, I was teaching a lot before our three-month trip, and I was recording those talks, and I put them online. And as we traveled, I just stopped that because I wasn't teaching any regular sessions like this. So even for me to be back in this place, like sitting with my phone with the little thing recording, uh, yeah, it's like a, it's an old, new experience. So it's interesting to be back in the seat, I would say. So um, it sounds pretty much like everybody in this room said either, like, heck no, you kind of all said the same thing, I guess. So it seems like people just want to meditate. Yeah, it seems like we're just here to practice. Um, whether it's about receiving the benefits of the practice or getting back on the was it back on the wagon? Back on the horse. Back on the horse or the wagon or the chariot, whatever you ride. Uh, yeah, or just kind of wanting to learn, right? Starting it. So it all just seems like we're here to meditate. To be honest, one of the things that I learned while traveling, so as much as I do have lots of stories that I could regale you with, um, I feel like I've become a lot less full of shit, or maybe more honest. That's the other way to say it. Yeah, so I just feel more just honest or genuine. Um, I'm actually less and less and less interested to be something called a teacher. I'm happy to share things that I know and that I've learned and to kind of be here, but I don't have the answers. Uh, I don't have the answers for anybody, so you all have to find your own answers. I can be with you on that journey because I'm on that journey myself. But I feel that taking on the role of being a teacher, it's exhausting. It's really, really, really exhausting. It's exhausting to have a line of work that involves just giving. Giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and then I just get home and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just, I've given out. <laughs> given up. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot. And uh, something that I realized is that some of that exhaustion that I feel, it comes from, yeah, kind of like having to just like a little bit present something. And I wouldn't say that I have been like a liar in how I presented myself at all, but it's more, I feel the less that I have to kind of like be sitting here as somebody who knows everything and can help me, you know. It's like my personality has to kind of swing a little bit to just be on top of things. And then when I get home, I'm like, okay, now I can just be lazy again and do nothing. And that back and forth is exhausting and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like balanced. So my way of balancing that is to give a little bit more effort in my off time and to give a little less effort when I'm working, when I'm in these rounds, when I'm helping out. And um, something that just naturally occurred was that feeling of just wanting to be more, I don't even know, I say the word authentic, but it's, you know, again, it's not like I ever wasn't, but um, there's just something about, yeah, needing to hold the space in a certain way, maybe I'll say it more like that, that is not so interesting for me anymore. And when I look around at the spiritual communities, not so much in this room at all, uh, but what I would say in the spiritual communities, there's a lot of people 
who are like claiming spirituality and putting themselves out there and you know their Instagram account is them like you know wrapping their head up in their legs on a beach somewhere being like this perfect yogi um, and I know a lot of these people personally and I know that that's not who they actually are it's just the image they present and that doesn't help anybody we're not helping anybody if we're presenting images of ourselves that aren't accurate or authentic um, and it's weird because especially from a spiritual standpoint you're hurting people because you're making yourself seem like you're something better than everyone or beyond everyone or different or special and that naturally if you lift yourself up then naturally everyone else is beneath you or everyone else goes down the reason that I well maybe not the reason but like the situation that I disrobed and eventually was when I arrived in India and I arrived in Tiruvannamalai which is southern India um, you know if you go just all the way in the south of India there's Tamil Nadu and Kerala which are kind of the two I don't even know what they're called states of India that come down and then there's Sri Lanka right below them so Tiruvannamalai it's this very sacred mountain called Aranachula and this is where uh, Ramana Maharshi, who is, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that name, Ramana Maharshi, he was like an Indian saint, that when he was a kid, he had this realization like, oh, everyone's going to die someday, I'm going to die too. And he somehow just went through like a dying process as a kid and realized, you know, what am I doing? What's life about? And ended up, you know, this kid just going to this mountain, this holy mountain, and he just spent his whole life there. He just lived on this mountain. And he became a saint that people started following, and then he has books and... So I went to this ashram, and it was, you know, a very powerful location right at the base of the mountain and everything. And I walked in, and all of the people there pretty much were like, you know, white people wearing all white clothes, walking around being very, like, spiritual, but like Instagram spiritual, like the kind of spiritual where they were trying to show how spiritual they are to each other. And uh, I'm more spiritual because I'm sitting and not moving, and I'm more spiritual. And then, I'm, you know, when no one's looking, I'm taking a picture of myself being spiritual here. And there was something about it. And then I was wearing my monk robe, you know. So I'm sitting here, you know, after eight years in the monastery wearing my spiritual costume. And then there's all these other people wearing their spiritual costumes. And something in that moment just clicked in my head, and I said, you know, if I'm a genuine spiritual practitioner, I don't need a costume to be spiritual. In fact, the practitioners that I, my whole life, have always felt more drawn to were the ones that were kind of secret or hidden practitioners, the ones that you wouldn't notice by looking at them or even necessarily meeting them. You know, they'd meet you and they'd be these very simple, humble people, and then you just kind of discard them as like, you know, oh, that, that guy was nice, but you wouldn't even think anything of that person. You know, and then they leave you and then they go and like meditate in like a cave for you know, the next 12 hours and then just come out and do their normal things and you would have no, you know, no idea. And I feel for myself that's what really inspired me was, you know, I've met the Dalai Lama, I've met Thich Nhat Hanh again, I've met these other teachers. Don't get me wrong, they inspire me a great deal. They're amazing, powerful, you know, great beings. I don't know how else to say it, just super powerful people. Um, but there's something for me that's really special about the people that you just, you wouldn't know that they're just kind of hidden, they're mixed into society, doing the good work and not broadcasting it somehow. 
And, um, and I saw this you know, community of people that there's something that felt very pretentious to me about it. And I said, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't need a costume to be spiritual. Uh, what does spirituality even mean? It's just, you know, again, it's like a bullshit term. Uh, we are all spiritual, all of us. We are all spiritual, and we're all trying to understand what life is about. We're all trying to find happiness. We have different value systems, different priorities, different ways of trying to find that happiness. But we're all trying, we're all like reconfiguring that understanding as we go. And, um, and so I just, I took off my robe. I went back to, and it was really hot. So I was also like, it's really too hot for a robe anyway. So it was part of like, I was just sweating. So I was like, I don't want to wear this, it's too hot. Um, but it was also like, yeah, I just didn't want to have to be something anymore. I just wanted it to be normal. And so I took off my robe and then I went back there and then I could sit and meditate and I just felt ah, like this great sense of relief, right? Not having to be something. And, um, and in some weird way, I feel like I've come back to that place again in myself, but even on a deeper level. So a good friend of mine, there's this girl, and I was friends with her actually in high school and went to the same high school. She was a couple grades below me. And she reached out to me uh, since I've been home. And I you know, haven't seen her in what, like I'm asking you guys, I don't know, like 15 years or something, or I don't know how old I am anymore. Um, something like that. So 2001, 2019, it's like 18 years. And, um, and we started talking, and she's just embarking on you know, what she calls her spiritual path. You know, and she's just trying to learn meditation, and she was going to um, these different teachers and teachings and things. And um, she wrote me a post yesterday after I got home from leading 108 sun salutations at a studio in Salem, which was awesome and kind of like tiring, right? Um, and I come home, and I you know, turn on my phone, and there's a message from her. And it says, uh, I think I'm possessed. Um, you know, what can I do to cleanse myself? And I was like, well, why do you think you're possessed? And she's like, well, you know, because this guy told me that I am. And I was like, uh-huh. And then I was like, well, why are you taking what that guy said as the truth? And she's like, well, he's like the admin of the Facebook page, you know. <laughs> and I was like, so why does that guy know the truth? And she was like, well, I even got a healing with you guys. Even Shannon mentioned that my energy felt different. And I was like, so why does Shannon know the truth? Who's my partner who I do healings with? And I kind of just kept digging a little bit deeper, pieces at a time. And it got to the point where I just kind of said, why do you keep giving your power away? Why do you keep taking other people's truths and making them your reality? Yeah. And I said, the spiritual path, as far as I know it, as far as I've learned it, and of course, when we start being spiritual, we start taking all of these teachings, the things all these Thich Nhat Hanh and these guys say, Jesus, the Buddha, whoever, and we start taking their quotes and their, you know, and we kind of say, yes, this is how things are, and this is, and we all become almost like evangelical in our lives. We try to like change our families and our and our friends and tell them how things really are now, and you know. Uh, and it's kind of embarrassing, like I went through that too when I was a monk. And you push everyone away actually, even though you think you're helping them. And You know, it's this whole thing. And, um, and ultimately what I found in the monastery was that the way that I was able to move forward in my spiritual path was actually by unlearning things. It wasn't by learning new things, it was by unlearning things. It was by dropping more and more and more what other people had said to me 
about what reality is, how things are, how I am. And starting to just drop those things, drop those things, drop those things and come back into myself. Something that happened while we were on this trip is that we actually drove, um, so we made this loop. We had the, you know, our American Healers Tour. So we planned these healings all across the country. You know. So we went to all these different yoga studios. We were in like Asheville, North Carolina, and Arkansas, and all over New Mexico, and Sedona, and California, and Oregon. And, you know. So we had these healings kind of up to Oregon. And we, we planned to get to Astoria, which is right on the Columbia River. Um, so right across the Columbia River. So you're kind of in the town of Astoria, and there's this big river. And then on the other side, that's Washington State. So it's like it divides the two places, right? So we just had planned to there, and then we thought, you know, we just, it would be like the end point, then we would just find our way home. We didn't know. And as we were getting to that place, Shannon said to me, you know, I really want to go to Vancouver. Um, if you guys know, like, the Twilight movies, like the vampire werewolf movies, I don't know, like Teenage Love Story. Um, they were, like, filmed there, and she, you know, that helped her want to go there, but she'd wanted to go to Vancouver. And I was like, okay, well, we have a couple free weeks on the end of the trip. Maybe when we get there, we'll just go to Vancouver. And I turn on my Facebook, and there's this woman. Her name's Grandmother Karina. So she's like, uh, she's an elder. She's done ceremony for many, many years. She's learned from all these different countries, different ceremonies and plant medicines and holds women's circles and does grief work. And really, it's kind of like a powerful worker up in the West Coast often, but also comes over here sometimes. And I turn on my Facebook, and it's Grandmother Karina um, giving a live Facebook talk. And, and it says in the top um, you know, that she's broadcasting from Vancouver. And I was like, oh, wow, like she's in Vancouver? Like We just were talking about it. And then, um, so when I do my energy healings, I have these little pendants. I don't have any now, but they're these little pendants from, anyone have one? I don't know. I do do you, are you wearing it right now? OK, so what, these pendants right here. So these are called Siddha pendants. They're filled with like a special substance from the Siddha lineage. It's like this very powerful, like it broadcasts like a frequency out. They're from my teacher in India, and I, he gave me a bunch, and then I was like giving them. You know, so, um, and so Grandmother Karina, she starts giving her Facebook Live talk. And then she goes, and I want to call in Seth Monk right now. And she picks up her pendant. And he gave me the city pendant. And I use this pendant every time, like as like a pendulum to like see like what's like how things like what's true and what's not. And, all. and I'm like, what the hell? Like she's <laughs> like, I'm just, you know, in Vancouver calling me in. And we're like thinking about it. So it was one of those crazy moments where I was like, OK. So right after that, I wrote to her. And I was like, uh, you know, we're coming to Vancouver. And she's like, oh, well, like I was thinking of doing some ceremonies. So we ended up meeting her and doing all these ceremonies. Um, and then I have friends in Seattle who invited me to do Tony Robbins back when. Um, so I wrote to them and I was like, I guess we're going to be passing through Seattle. And they're like, oh, why don't you come? We'll do a healing here. And we're gonna, it's like a whole thing. So we were in Astoria, right, on the border. And I kind of said to Shannon, you know, our trip was only planned to get to this point. Like I had sat at my computer writing to all these studios back in you know, Andover, like, you know, can we come and do our thing? You know? and, uh, and Astoria was the last part of our planned trip. But suddenly, we're going to be going all the way up into Washington, and then all the way up into Vancouver, and then to Vancouver Island. And that wasn't planned, and we never even planned that. That was people saying, why don't you come? That was grandmother Karina saying, well, why don't you come up here and do ceremonies? And then our friend saying, well, why don't you come to Seattle? So I said to Shannon, something feels different for this little last piece of the trip. 
it feels like we're being invited versus like us planning it. We're being invited to go up there and do work. So the next morning we woke up and I said to her, like, starting today, whatever we experience from now on, it's like in the hands of like spirit, you know, like this is not in our control anymore. This is something that has been something guided us now, this last part. And a lot of things happened in that last part, which I will not get into now. But just that first day, as we were driving across that, this long bridge into Washington, I just started to feel like an energetic shift, like something felt much lighter and much clearer. And I just, something started changing. It was like, wow, like I'm really receiving something right now. I don't know what it is, but I'm receiving something. And we got to, you know, the place we were going to stay for the night. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt kind of my, I don't know how to say it, like my energy. I felt very restless, but something was kind of just buzzing or pulsing in me, right? And I woke up in the middle of the night and we were just in Sedona, Arizona, which I was telling you guys about, which is like a very spiritual place too. And we got lots of like psychic readings and we saw body workers. So I had all these different people kind of telling me like, oh, you know, here's what you're going to do. Here's the place that's going to suit you the best. You know, here's the kind of life. Uh, you and Shannon, oh, I don't know if you guys are going to like stay together because she's more of this kind of person. You're this, you know, and, and it's like, so we kind of, it's like as if my whole life was just painted by these different people about what my life's going to look like. And everything they said, it resonated. It all felt like, you know, they were all legit people and it all felt, okay, yeah, that's what, okay, I guess. They know who I am. They know what's going to happen. Like, this is it. You know, this is what my life looks like. It's all kind of set. And I woke up with this anxiety. And I felt all these different people's energies in me. And I heard all their voices talking, you know, and this kind of web of other people's truths about my reality vibrating in, that I was vibrating into this web of other people's truths. And I kind of was sitting there in bed. It was like, you know, two in the morning or whatever. I'm sitting in bed and I was just feeling this and feeling this and feeling this. And finally, a thought arose in my mind. And I said, you know what? If I kill myself right now, everything that everybody said to me will be wrong. Right? So if right now I just kill myself, Everything they said was wrong. They were all wrong. So that means that our free will comes first. Our free will is more important than like destiny or like it is written or whatever. That number one, it's that we are responsible. And I felt all of those energies, all those people, it all, it coalesced into like one stream and then it went into my heart. And it was this amazing, empowering moment where I felt again in charge of my life, that my life is mine to create, nobody else's. And I've had some really high teachers tell me, like, here's what you should, and I've asked them stupidly, I've given my power away. You know, I went to these teachers and I said, what should I do? And they said, oh, you should go learn Tibet and you should do this. Some like high, you know, psychic masters who have like, you know, they've made handprints in rocks and cave walls and stuff because they're just so powerful and they can just move material at will and stuff. And they've told me what to do. And I'm like, okay, like that's what my life should look like. You know, and then I've been conflicted when maybe I didn't meditate as much as I should have. Right? I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And I felt all of that coalesce into one stream and go into my heart. And I realized it's my choice. 
my life is my choice. Even if the Buddha himself sat in front of me and said, you should do this, it's still my choice. I can still say, thank you for your opinion, Buddha. I value your opinion probably higher than anyone else's, but thank you for your opinion. You know, and then still see now what is my part of this reality? What is my peace? So I reclaimed my own decisions. I re-empowered myself. And then the very next thing I felt was, oh shit, I'm terrified. Because now that I've reclaimed my responsibility, that means I'm responsible. That means what happens to me is my responsibility. And nothing is going to happen unless I do it and make it happen. And that was terrifying. Because suddenly it's like, I have to now face consequences. You know, that I have to hold myself accountable. It was so easy to give that all out to the teachers and then to blame them when things weren't working right, right? But suddenly I had to reclaim that into myself. And it was very, very humbling, right? And terrifying, but it also felt so right and so grounding and like a piercing feeling of like truth in myself. And that's something that since coming back, I also really feel it's so important. It's like more important than any teaching I could like give somebody about meditation or Buddhism or whatever. It would be the teaching of that you are responsible for yourselves, that your life is yours, that everything I say, it's just blah, 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 really, you know. What is your life about for you? What do you want to do? What matters to you? What works for you? What makes you happy? What doesn't? You know, there is no one way. There is no right way. Nobody on this planet has the monopoly on truth. Nobody. Yeah, and we're seeing like what happened with all the churches falling apart and stuff. You know, these institutions that we used to go to for truth and God. Nope, not there. You know, it's happening in monasteries too, right? Falling apart, people inside. Oh, I thought these were these pure people. And nope, same thing. Corruption, child abuse, things that are happening. Nope, sorry, same stuff. So where is it? Where can we turn? Yeah? And the truth is, is that there is nowhere you can turn except in. The only person you can trust is yourself. And that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. That's not like pessimistic. That's amazing that you can trust yourself. And at the end of the day, anyway, you're the one that lives with your consequences and your choices. And honestly, I didn't even want to talk tonight. I was like, this is going to be interesting. Because even the way I do my healings has changed. And I was thinking coming here tonight, I was like, this is going to be interesting because I really don't want to talk anymore. I'm kind of done talking. Like I've, I've said everything. You want to hear what I have to say? Go on you know, iTunes, Seth Monk. right? Sign up for my meditation mastery program where I have videos every week. Go online. I have like 200 talks. Yeah, what more can I say to people? I've said it all. Yeah? I mean, and now I guess I'm, this is a contradiction because here I am giving, you know, already 30 minutes in, right? But yeah, I've said it all. So there was something in me that also felt, you know, I, the way that I would like to maybe lead meditation classes from now on is actually to just meditate. You know, it's like instead of me talking for half an hour and meditating for half an hour, it's like, why don't we come in, say hi, just do like a quick check-in, and then just sit for an hour and just practice together. 
an hour. You've got to be kidding me. A whole hour. That could be good. Because let me tell you, that's the only, that's what it's about. That's it. That's what this is about, is putting in the time, doing it. There's nothing else. It feels good when I talk, right? I'm speaking and people feel like safe and they feel seen and understood and it's like fun and it's like a nice, ah, I create this nice like environment, right? Like these lights up here, it's like, ah, create like an ambiance. Yeah, this one like woman in Germany, she was like the supermodel, like, you know, they came to our monastery sometimes and after I led meditation once she came up to me, she's like, you know, I bet all the girls must chase you around. And I was like, um, you know, sometimes, but why do you say that, you know? And she's like, because when you leave meditation, you know, we all just feel so safe. She's like, you're like, you're like a, a plane captain or something. You're like the pilot on the, on the intercom saying, like, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. You know, creating this feeling of safety that everyone feels like, ah, oh, I feel safe. Now I can meditate, you know. But really, you know, as a lot of you are saying and as a lot of you know, it's great. And I'm happy to re-inspire you and reinvigorate your practices and, you know, and this is true of all the teachers that I've been with. Like Thich Nhat Hanh, he has a bunch of monasteries. And he would go and like live in one for a while, and then the other ones would kind of like wilt a little bit, and then he would go to the other one, and like, like they'd start blooming, and then, you know, and he'd kind of have to go around and keep watering all the flowers to keep the gardens alive. <laughs> and that's totally normal, totally normal. And simultaneously, there comes the point where like Thich Nhat Hanh, he had a stroke. He doesn't teach anymore. He just went to Vietnam to die. He's done, you know? What are those monasteries going to do? What are you guys going to do? What have you been doing? You know? And that's kind of the other part of this. It's like, how do we find that in ourselves? And that's really the greatest gift I can give you, besides, you know, maybe like a little encouragement, is to really say, like, let's get in this room and let's sit and let's do the work and let's get in there and figure it out and uh, make your own experiences. And, and when I say an hour and that's like, oh my God, an hour, right? That's a totally wrong understanding of what we're doing here. Because all we're doing is you're going to close your eyes and you're just going to sit. And that's it. And if you're miserable, that's fine. And if you're peaceful, that's fine. And if you're daydreaming about, I don't know, what, Disney World or something, that's fine. And if you see Buddha and Jesus come down and you know, shake hands, and give you, that's fine. Whatever happens is fine. That's all there is to it, is you just sit in that space and you just don't do anything. And you start to become familiar with your inside world. You start to become familiar with what happens when I'm just with myself. And that's all that everyone's really just afraid of, is just being inside. That's why we're all distracting ourselves, going out through the senses, right? What happens when I just sit? You know, what if I feel anxious? Yeah, what's so, deal with anxiety. What if I get really bored? Awesome, deal with boredom. Whatever comes up, that's your thing to deal with. You know, I can't tell you how many times that I'm leading meditation classes afterwards, I go, how was it? Someone's like, oh, it wasn't good. My mind was wandering the whole time. Yeah? As if there's something called, like, that's not what was supposed to happen. That's not what's supposed to happen. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a wrong understanding. But, but, but that's, no, that's what does happen, is I can sit here for an hour, uh -huh. And I'll be all of a sudden back in sixth grade remembering Mr. Robley, the teacher. And then I go on to seventh grade. Before you know it, I'm up to college. And then my, this one died and that one died. And then the hour's over. And I wasn't even in the room. Mm -hmm. This is my problem. 
problem. I can't do this, and I need to. Two months ago, lost my best friend, my childhood friend. She died of some dementia at 71. Hmm. Next morning, I lost my dog. Hmm. And I'm like talking to God, okay, everybody's gone. I don't have family, but I have wonderful friends. But it's like, what do you want me to do now down here? Hmm. And I need peace really bad. Hmm. And then me had a wonderful, wonderful husband that shouldn't have gone from ALS. So, I don't know, I'm just lost down here now. Mm. I go home and there's the dog ashes and I say, Mommy's home. And when I meditate, I'm not there. It's like all this stuff in the mind. So it isn't good to sit here and leave the room with my mind and then say it's good, even though I sat physically in the chair. I want to say, I'm sitting in this room and there's a man to my right. There's two women and another man to the left and I'm gonna stay in this room and I don't. I'm um, with all this negative stuff. I'm sorry. Who resonates with what she's saying? Yeah, yeah? look around, <laughs> look around. This is important. This is called community, yeah, look around. What do they call that? Monkey mind, right? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. If you want to get rid of the monkey minds, do you think that's going to happen by sitting for a half an hour or for no, an hour? I keep doing it, but I just, I just like all of a sudden it'll be two weeks. I haven't meditated. I know that you need to do every day, even if you do five minutes. If I could do five minutes every day of the week. That maybe the next week I might do eight minutes, but the consistency isn't there to make. It's like the brain's the muscle, and you gotta exercise it with the mindfulness. And I just, I just get frustrated, and then losing my dog. Is, hmm. I mentioned before that I I meditated regularly at periods. A couple of years ago, I started on January first. There was a. Um, an app that I use, you mentioned you use an app, I don't know what to say, but I was using Insight Timer, and they had this 365 group where everybody committed to meditating every day of the whole year. So I started on January 1st, and I made it all the way through to July 8th, the day our cat died. <laughs> and after that, I could not sit with myself because my feelings too strong. Just like you, he loses the whole six months he worked so hard with. Did you lose those six months? No. No. And and um, but what I what I learned is that I um, I learned how I deal with my feelings by avoiding them. Uh, and that's why I couldn't sit with myself. Um, and and since since then, um, I've been able to meditate m more often, even when it really is hard, because um, of where I go when I go inside. 
Um, but I mean, the reason why I'm telling you this is just to tell you how 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 much an experience it is that I share, um, and I'm sure a lot of other people share. It's you know, meditation is is easy a lot of the time and hard a lot of the time, and it's when it's hard that I think it's most useful. But it's also most hard. Yeah. <laughs> I told you Doug would be teaching the class tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Called it. And maybe that's your path too, Seth. Instead of, you know, being the leader that leads, that does the talk, maybe it's more facilitating the conversation and getting other people to share their experiences mm -hmm. and, and get a group wisdom going. Very good. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Could I ask you? I just would really... I'm so curious as to how you can go off the grid and be a monk for eight years and leave. Because you're, the simplicity of your life compared to, you know, how, how did, why? You must not have been happy. Oh God, there's no hope for me if he's been eight years. <laughs> I just, as soon as you said you left after eight years, I thought, why would you do that? I would think you just found your niche. No materialism, no, nobody saying, oh my God, you colored your hair the wrong color, or you gained a weight, and all the petty stuff in life, you know? Gone, just peace and quiet, and a little bit of food. Sounds like heaven, right? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It wasn't. <laughs> I know, I listened to you talk before how you said you when that, that person you taught with, when he would go to the other monasteries, almost having to rejuvenate them to, mm -hmm. because you can like slip back even in a monastery and that I didn't think was possible. I thought that's the ultimate, I don't know, maybe. I'm too old to be looking for something in life. Oh no, you're not. I'm 65, I should have found it by now. Jeez, I'm still looking and I'm old. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm planning to live 110, happy and healthy. So, <laughs> I don't think you old at all. 65 is just really young. It's a good time to start something. New. It is. It's always a good time to start. It something. is. Yeah. Are you doing me young? You doing all right? I'm just taking it all. Mm -hmm. So what do we think? Time to meditate? Mm -hmm. okay. So sit in a way that feels comfortable, that feels stable, whatever that means for you. Ready, close your eyes. 